I think we'll just go back to whiteboards and projector sheets, I think. Just uh, Maybe it's trying to tell me something. Okay. Um, so today's message is what is sin, uh, and it's still part of the Christology uh, series that we are doing, um, and we uh, want to understand what this is. You may know what this is, uh, because hopefully uh, you've come to Jesus, if you're a believer, uh, because uh, of the realisation of the sin uh, nature that we have within us that needs to be resolved, that needs something to uh, fix it, to pay the price of it. Uh, something I thought of just before we get into this uh, was a, a realisation as I was preparing this message uh, is that uh, before I became a Christian, uh, I, I never knew what sin was. I never knew uh, that what I was doing was sinful, that my life that I was living was sinful. This is before Jesus, before I believed in him. And it's amazing to think that uh, there was a moment that came when I suddenly realised that indeed my life was not in line with God. And it was so far away uh, from the perfect Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again. And that that is something I've probably taken for granted as I... Uh, I was preparing for this message and think, wow, I never knew, I, I never really remember that, that I never knew what sin was. I never understood and I carried on living my life as if everything was fine and everything uh, continued uh, and went as it should. And yet I was living away from the life that actually I should be living and that uh, Jesus uh, was there all along, ready uh, to take me in. And this is uh, an awesome message. So whilst we'll get into the mechanics of sin and what it's about, uh, it will be um, maybe difficult just to talk about this subject sometimes because it is, it's not a nice subject, it's sin after all, uh, and we're going to get into the all different aspects of this today. Uh, so what we want to understand when we're looking at sin is we need to understand that every human is born with a sinful nature and it makes us corrupt by sin from our birth. And then we're going to examine our own sinful hearts and the problem that sin causes in our world and in our relationships. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at uh, four things. Uh, the source of sin, uh, the relation of sin to the human race, sin as described by God, and the battle with sin. So let's look at this first one, uh, the source of sin. Uh, sin originated from uh, Satan. Um, strangely learning this morning. Um, not that I didn't know this, but reminded again uh, that that word Satan uh, is more of the description of the office uh, that the devil holds and that he's the Satan, as it's described in the Bible uh, from its original language. Uh, they call him the Satan, uh, as in it is not a person, uh, but it is a force. Uh, it is an office, as it were, to go and cause disruption uh, and death in the world. Um, but Jesus does not hold back when he describes the devil uh, as the father of sin. Uh, in John 8, uh, verse 42 to 47, he says, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Nice first verse to kick off with. Easy and subtle. Uh, But the message is clear. That Jesus makes a very clear division uh, between God the Father and the Father the Devil, who is Father of Lies. Two clear distinctions that we're looking at here. And as we uh, we begin to understand the source of sin... Jesus makes it very clear that there are people who intended, who are intended to do the work of the devil, and that those belong to God, uh, that those that, and those that belong to God. So those that do the work of the devil, and those that belong to God. And this is a bit troubling for us as Christians, potentially, because we say, well, uh, what about the people who may come to church but not yet believe in Jesus and hear this message and go, do, does that mean I belong to the devil? Um, I'm going to go through that and explain that and maybe help you if people have those questions and and we'll get to that. Uh, But there is a clear distinction. It has to be uh, because God's nature is that he is not evil. Uh, He is not in any way connected with the devil. Uh, So his nature in any way cannot be the same nature or even relational to uh, the devil's nature. Uh, They are two separate things. We said last week there is life and death and they cannot be of one another Uh, They have to be separate. There is life and death, there is light and there is dark. So the two distinctive characteristics of God and of the devil shows clearly that God has nothing to do with the devil and the devil nothing to do with God. The devil is a liar, he says, and God is truth. So how does that relate uh, in relation to sin of the human race, to the human race? Uh, Romans 3, verses 22 to 24 uh, says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In order to understand how sin relates to us, we must understand that there is no one who is better or sinless than anyone else. There is no one around you you can think of, the best person ever, is still not good enough uh, to be uh, as Jesus or like him in that sense, in the same way whatsoever. No matter how good you think they are, no matter how good you think you are. But this starting position sets a level playing field for everybody. And this is good news. I don't think for a second that there was a way that there could have been a hierarchy of sinful people, that there was ever a time when actually all these people seemed to be of the highest calibre. And yet Jesus was the the very person who came to uh, deconstruct their own thoughts of themselves, uh, of how high they thought they were. Jesus often answered questions uh, challenged in public by people who thought they knew better, people who thought they were just as good and yet he gets to the core of the issue. But this starting position of a level playing field is great news for all of mankind. It acknowledges that no matter how well you think you've kept the law, no matter how well you think you might have done in being blameless, we are all inherently sinful. 
Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3, says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. These are truths that, um, in the right context, they should be taught in church. They should be. Uh, uh, there should be a way to get from this state to get to grace and to get to salvation, and we will get there. But we must first understand why salvation is needed in the first place. And when we look at these, when we look at these descriptions of people, at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts, we are by nature deserving of wrath. What's going to fix that? The first step is, are you happy to, I'll say happy, are you willing to admit that this is the state we're in? Because this is the truth, this is not what I say, this is the Bible. And what happens is when you talk to people, what they say is, what do you think that we all should go to hell? I don't think everyone should go to hell. It's not my judgment. It's not me. I'm not making that decision. So what I'm doing is I'm telling you that this is what's going to happen if we don't believe in Jesus and, and acknowledge that we are sinful. The wrath that we deserve. It's a hard message. You might have in some of your, in your Bibles, um, <clears throat> the Greek word for flesh is sarx, S-A-R-X, sarx, I think it's pronounced. And it refers to the sinful state of human beings. And it's presented as a power in opposition to the spirit. So just to be clear, it's not, it's not just a, I'm just kind of just getting on my life, nothing really affecting me. Uh, this is suggesting, this is saying actually that when it talks about flesh, when we, when that's what we idolize or hold on to. That's the thing that is opposing God. We are opposing him, opposing the power of the spirit. There's no middle ground here. Uh, you will remember many times that it's been quoted, but you will remember uh, the church in Revelation where it says, uh, uh, you're lukewarm, I'd rather you were hot or cold. You know, this idea that there is no uh, middle ground, there is no place where you can just sit happily, not do one thing or the other. Actually, if, I, if, if in my faith, my idolizing is in my flesh, gratifying my flesh in whatever way that is as opposition, as opposition to him. Psalm 51, uh, verse 5, says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from, my t from the time my mother conceived me. There's this saying here, um, <clears throat> We aren't sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. This is talking about the original sinful nature that is within us, that where Adam started uh, and 
and we as, as humans with him also started. We acknowledge that we are just like Adam in that sense and we, just, we come from that line. Uh, every human being will sin because we have a sinful nature. There's no exception. The very best of people still sin because we are fallen human beings. Genesis 3, verse 16 to 19, it says, uh, To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give Sorry about the spelling. Painful labor, you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. They disobeyed God and were judged, and the judgment was upon them and their descendants. That's why today uh, we acknowledge the sinful nature, because it came from Adam, it descends from him, and it comes through every single person. Uh, we saw even in the conceived child also. And so as we look at that, we can see how uh, uh, an inkling maybe of how sin uh, is described um, by God. There's a Greek word used in the Bible to describe perfectly how God sees sin in regards to our behavior. And it's the word... Um, I think I've got it here. Hamatia. Hamatia. Yeah. And it means missing the mark or off the mark. Something new I learned uh, about this word. Uh, it's, to, it's to be mistaken, um, to miss or wonder. And I'm, I'm just going to say now that it has many meanings in regards to sin. Um, I'll explain. It's to be mistaken, to miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honour, to do or go wrong, to wander from the law of God and violate God's law and sin. It might suggest that it, it, it looks like there's, we do this accidentally. Uh, and it's not. It's not suggesting, oh, you just missed. Uh, sin is missing the mark. We have missed the mark because of our sinful nature. We've missed the mark because we rebelled against God and we are off the mark uh, because we rebelled against him. Romans 3, 20, uh, 23, <clears throat> as we said before, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, you might say, all have missed the mark and fall short of the glory of God. We will come out the other side. Don't worry. We're getting there. In Romans 1, Paul describes this sense of God's wrath against sinful humanity. If you read the Bible, by the way, uh, it, there's maybe a misunderstanding that people like to pick out all the nice bits and all the bits that sound good and sound nice. Uh, but there's a reason we must acknowledge this. The reason for acknowledging this, as I'm about to go through, is because... How do we understand what salvation means if we don't understand what it, what it did in the first place, how it resolved the problem that I'm talking about today? 
which is sin. So Paul, in Romans 1, Paul describes a sense of God's wrath against sinful humanity, uh, and he says things like, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Uh, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They became fools. Uh, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And it might well be that you couldn't think of doing some of these things in this list. In your wildest thoughts, you could probably think, oh, I can't do any... I might gossip. I might gossip. But could I, could I murder? I don't think I'm as bad as that. We like to say that. But what Paul is describing here is really important is sin in the view of humanity. This means that we take this not to use it to say, well, I wouldn't do the worst of those things. I might have done a couple of the uh, not-so-bad things in that list. But to accept that the depths of sin in humanity means we are all capable of these things because of humanity's sinful nature. Have you ever heard on the news uh, about the, uh, whenever there is a, you might think of a murder, uh, or uh, something uh, just as sort of heinous as that, and you, they interview the people uh, that might have lived next door to them. They say, well, he's such a pleasant man. Such a pleasant man. I, just, I never thought he'd do such a thing. I never thought he was capable of doing such a thing. And all the time I hear this. And there is a point where you can't be surprised anymore that this happens because there is depths of humanity that we like to not acknowledge that are horrible and sinful. And so people, when they say, but he was such a nice guy. Well, there's no nice guy. There's no nice woman. We're all sinful. We all have the capability to be sinful. And so when you understand this concept, this idea, when the, you then think of Jesus, imagine that. Imagine all the depths and depravity of humanity put on and bore the weight on top of Jesus. So when you look at the cross again, this is what it should do. Like it shouldn't be, thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. It should be, humanity's awful. We are sinful. And he took that put it on himself, and he took all the bore, the weight of that, on himself. That's how it should affect us when we look at Jesus. Like, I can't even fathom taking on all those things of murder and heinous crimes that we look at today. He's taken on all those sinful things. Even before we knew him, because he wanted a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with us. God's definition of sin is not so we can pick and choose from the best of the worst bits, but to see something far greater. 
If I accept God's definition of sin and therefore my sinful nature, I also accept that I can do no worse than that. Do you understand what it means? If I take God's definition of sin and he says, this is the worst that you can be. This is the worst possible person you can be. And yet, even as worse as that was, Jesus took it all on him and saved us. So when someone says, I'm too, I'm too bad, I'm too evil to be saved by him, I do terrible things. I don't think so. I mean, there are terrible things humanity can do to people. We see it in the news every day. And yet all of that, no matter what you can come up with, Jesus took with him on the cross. He took that. He bore that sin. That's good news. That's amazing. I can't be worse than that description. I can do no worse than that and God has conceived of every possible scenario. Therefore, I can also be saved through the salvation of Jesus Christ. Nothing is too much for salvation to rescue us from. So what happens after we choose Jesus? Is that it? Is it all just a life of roses? And no one should put their hand up and say, yes, it is. In this life, what is ahead of us? is the battle uh, with sin. And it will, for always, for this lifetime, try to tempt us away from our holy, loving God, from Jesus Christ. For every day, every second, every minute, it's there, prowling at the door. But as believers, we possess a new nature which gives us the ability to please God and have victory over sin. Romans 6 Verse 17 to 18. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your hearts. Doesn't matter what you do on the outside. Doesn't matter all the great things you do in church. To obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Love these words. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Do you love the paradox of that word? Slaves to righteousness. doesn't make sense. Slaves is a terrible word. But used in Scripture, slaves to righteousness, but I'm free. I'm, I'm a slave, but I'm free. Sometimes you just have to stop and say, I, I just accept it. I accept those words. I'm slave to righteousness. The Bible words this battle against sin very carefully. Whenever the Bible speaks of death and life, sin or freedom, it always speaks in the, mostly speaks in the context of choice. In fact, I would, I would say always in the context of choice. And in this verse, it clearly shows that we come to obey from our hearts. James also talks about this in uh, James 1 verse 14. Uh, and he says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own, their own evil desire and enticed. The clear warning from the Bible is to seek out God so that we do not let our evil desires drag us away. 
Galatians 5, verse 16 to 18. It says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. You remember I spoke about the, the light and dark, the life and death? Completely separate. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We should seek the Spirit so as to not leave ourselves vulnerable to the desires of the flesh. Our sinful nature desires that which is not of the Spirit, not of God. That which is not good for us. And this spiritual battle between the flesh and the Spirit, and for, and for this lifetime, it will be a constant battle. Every day you should expect a battle against the flesh. The Bible teaches us in one of many, many things that we're to not be complacent in our faith of Jesus Christ. It is not a done job in the sense that once I believe in Jesus now, I can just get on with my life and do whatever I want because now I'm saved, I'm loved. No, no. Remember I said at the beginning, I said, we didn't have this idea of what sin was. We didn't understand what that really meant or if it even existed. And now, for those of you that watch, have watched the Matrix film, where he offers him a pill and he says to him, do you want the truth or do you want to continue to live in a lie? Do you want to live in a virtual lie or do you want to live in the truth? Which is just not a nice place to be in, in some sense, because it reveals so much about us. It reveals the true heart of us. And yet, that truth is there to set us free so that we may live in Jesus. So that others who we, so, we are so on fire for Jesus that they will come and go, I, I don't understand how you can have this outlook. I don't understand how you can have this hope that you profess. Because this world is horrible. Yeah, but that's why I can have hope. Because this world is exactly what Jesus said it is and was. It's fallen. It's getting worse. And yet we don't have to go with it. With a genuine heart, as we saw in the other verses, I can say, I believe in Jesus who died on the cross and saved my life. And I'm a sinful, horrible person. And he's taken that and he's covered it in righteousness and I'm forgiven of all sin. So there is hope to be had. 1 John 3, <clears throat> verses 9 to 10. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. And you might look at these verses and you say, well, I'm a Christian, and I believe it to the core that I'm a Christian. But I still sin. There are occasions that I still sin. There are occasions that I think not good thoughts. There are actions that I do that do not honour God. But I want to say this. I believe these verses have a direct correlation with Romans 1. 
That is to say that Paul also taught that those that intentionally and continually sinned might have this. Had become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. In fact, if you read the whole of 1 John 3 and what you see being described are two diametrically opposed people. I'm not saying that we can't become these people that uh, Romans and John talks about. Um, But when you follow Jesus, you're with Jesus. There's no half measures. There's no halfway. It is Jesus and everything for him. Those who cannot continue in their sin, as he describes, because of the Father's love for us, And then there are those that are determined to sin in spite of the Father's love for them. And yet, even those who are diametrically opposed to God are still invited to approach Jesus and to be saved. So as sinners who sin, but have come to a knowledge of Jesus and choose to follow him, we can confess that sin, that sin to God, so that our fellowship with God is restored. If you ever find yourself in any of these places, any of the, the horribleness that we spoke about today, you don't have to go and sacrifice a sheep. You don't have to go and find the best animal that you have. It's, it's just to confess the sin to him. With a genuine heart. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all, all unrighteousness. What's unrighteousness? All the stuff I just spoke about. All the stuff I mentioned. All those horrible words. That's all unrighteousness. He says, there's none of those words are beyond me. If you give your life to me, and you, with a genuine heart, offer your sins to me and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to be faithful to you. You'll be purified from all unrighteousness. This is good. You cannot go any further than what the Bible describes as the most unrighteous person. No one is too bad or unrighteous to be saved. So the challenge for us until the day we meet God is this. The inner person that you feed the most will win the battle. If we have a choice, then God has laid out those choices clearly. Will you feed the flesh to gain satisfaction now? Or will you feed the spirit that will satisfy for now and in all of eternity? It's not the same satisfaction as flesh. It's not the same. It's a satis- I would describe satisfaction on, the, on my good days when I'm talking about with God as something I cannot compare the satisfaction in the flesh. Does that make sense? I cannot, they, they don't even measure up to one another. Satisfaction in Jesus Christ, genuinely, is far more satisfying than any fleshful satisfaction I can find. Galatians 5, 24 to 25. says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires since we live by the Spirit. And this is it. This, this is why this part is important to continue speaking 
It's not good to finish on verse 24. Not good. Not good to finish on verse 24. Those who belong in Christ Jesus have crucified flesh with his passions, desires. Done. Finished. Let's go home. No. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keep going. Keep doing that. Keep reminding yourself that Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh because we believe in him. Live, keep, in step. Coming to a knowledge and truth of Jesus Christ. Not only means that your sin is revealed to you and can be forgiven, but also that for the rest of our days, we will continually need to choose Jesus. We will continually need to choose life and keep in step with the Spirit. So being a Christian is not for those that are looking to feel a bit better about themselves. It's not to feel good today and then to go back to your normal life tomorrow. He didn't come to make us feel better about living in sin. He didn't come to call the righteous. Jesus came to call sinners. He came so that we would recognize the dire state we are in, in our relationship with God. Jesus came so that our relationship with God would be restored. And because of that, we would no longer be slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness, set free because of him. I didn't want to leave this message as a, just bring that to an end, uh, just on sin. Uh, next week, we will talk about how we move on from there. But the message is still of hope. Even when we talk of sin, uh, we talk of why it's important to recognize that Jesus came to crucify the flesh so that we may have life in him. To realize the price that he paid, even 1% of that, to understand what he bore so that we may be free. Don't be scared about looking at sin. Don't be scared about looking at where you are in your walk with God. Don't be scared about that. Look at the Bible, read it, and you'll find people constantly struggling with their faith in God. Constantly having mammoth conversations with him. Having a go at him. Then coming back and realizing he is an awesome God. And he is powerful and righteous to bring righteousness and crucify the flesh, and to bring righteousness to us because of Jesus. We Let's pray, and then we'll say our uh, blessing together. Father, we thank you that you are all-powerful, who can go to all depths of our sinful nature and rescue us from the depths and depravity of our humanity. And Lord, we are amazed, I am amazed certainly that, that if there was anything to ever do to, to pay back as it were, that I always think there's something I have to do to pay this back, but Lord, 
I just have to say the words in my heart and be genuinely thankful and seek forgiveness and say the words, Jesus, you are my saviour. There is no routine to go through. There is nothing to do other than admit who we are because of our sinful nature. But because of Jesus, we are no longer that. We are free from sin so that we're no longer slaves to sin. Jesus, we thank you for crucifying our flesh. For taking the biggest hit that of any hit could be. Take on the entire world, world sin, a world, the whole universe, and take it all on your shoulders. And yet, say they, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> but you're doing it because you love us. Father, we will know of no man in this on this planet who will ever be able to do that and will never be able to do that. We know of no person who is good enough to measure up to you, to Lord Jesus Christ. But Father, oh Father, we thank you that as depraved as we've been described, the price has been paid and we can come back to a knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. We thank you, Lord, that you are all-powerful. We thank you that you're in this place. We thank you that you're in Welling. We thank you that you're in this country. We thank you that you're in this world. Your Holy Spirit reigns amongst us. Father, thank you for everything that you say you are and are. Thank you for the great I am. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So as together, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.